Hello, everybody. Before we jump into today's episode, we have two sponsors we want to say thank you to for supporting this show. The first one is Routine. You guys have heard me talk about Routine, honestly, back from the early days of the podcast, and it's still a product I use every single morning. They have a prompt for me here. I'm going to do a little impromptu on this ad read today because, honestly, this is a product that I truly believe in, and so I'm, going to, I'm just going to tell you guys exactly what I think and why. First and foremost, um, this is a stat that they shared, but when you sleep, you lose between a pound and a pound and a half of water, and most of that's just sweating while you sleep. Um, I used to not know if that was actually true, to be honest. I felt like a pound to a pound and a half of water seemed like quite a bit while I slept. But the one thing I did constantly pay attention to when I started using a routine was just the fact that before using a routine, I always felt a little dehydrated in the morning. And and I'm one of those people that when I get up, I get up really early usually. I work out. One of the, one of the first things I do is some form of fitness. It's just like what I do before everyone's awake. And so it's very easy for me to grab a coffee, you know, pre-workout, an energy drink, something with caffeine in it, and just go. When I am good about using routine first, I basically take, they come in these little single serve packets. Um, they contain half an organic lemon, a tablespoon of apple cider vinegar, Himalayan sea salt, all six essential electrolytes, and they have no sugar in them at all. A lot of hydration products are going to have sugar. So one of the things routine one of the things about routine that I love is that there's no sugar in there. Um, so when I am good about doing this consistently, I will take one of those single serve packets, I'll throw it in my mixer bottle. And whether I also put in a pre-workout or something with caffeine, or I just drink that separately, I try to drink that first. And the days I do that, I do genuinely feel hydrated and just have a different form of clarity all morning. A lot of people have tried to make their own homemade versions of routine, right? You see people making they take an, a, a shot of the apple cider vinegar and they put a little sea salt, a little lemon in a drink. This is essentially that, but in a product that you can take with you on the go, have it ready for you first thing in the morning. I know me personally, when I'm groggy rolling out of bed, the last thing I want to do is you know squeeze a lemon, cut lemons up, go get the apple cider vinegar, find my sea salt. I just rip this packet open, throw it in my water, drink it, and it's good to go. You can try yours today. If you haven't tried it yet and you've been listening to this podcast for years, just try the damn routine. Give it a shot. You can use code ShaneWhite30 and get 30% off your first order. So you get 30% off by using code ShaneWhite30 and go to yourroutine.com. To make it even easier, I've added the link to yourroutine.com in the show notes. So just click on the show notes for this episode. Click on the link to yourroutine.com and don't forget to use code ShaneWhite30. All right, guys. Today's episode is also brought to you by to you. It's brought to you by NeuroRoast. Again, I'm going to go a little off script here. NeuroRoast is a product that I also came across during this year of 2023. They are a, a coffee brand, coffee company that's helping you optimize your brain function and overall well-being. This is another product that, to be honest with you, when I first started working with it, I was a little on the fence. I was like, do I really want to have mushrooms in my coffee? Well, folks, I will tell you when I use NeuroRoast, one of the things that has stood out to me the most is in, well, I'll back up. People that know me know that I have way too much caffeine, typically. One of the things this year I've done a good job of is cutting out alcohol. Not completely, but predominantly, I don't touch a lot of alcohol anymore. What I think I've actually done the other way, though, is added a lot more caffeine. So I do, I do definitely drink too much caffeine. That's something I need to work on next year is to try to minimize how much of that, but NeuroRoast is something that has actually helped me. Because of the way they've formulated their coffee, 
like unlike regular coffee, which is, you know, still something I consume, but NeuroRoast specifically um, doesn't cause jitters or crashes. Mushroom coffee provides more balance and sustained energy, allowing you to stay focused and productive throughout the day. So the times I do use NeuroRoast, I'll be honest, I, I just don't feel that jittery, like I'm jumping out of my chair or standing here at my desk, jumping around feeling. So give NeuroRoast a try. They have some really good flavors. I'll be honest too. The two guys that started NeuroRoast are just really good, really good dudes based out of New York and uh, they're hustling and, and hopefully they can, they can get some people to try NeuroRoast this holiday season um, by listening to this podcast. So for you folks who've been on the fence, I'm telling you, it tastes delicious. They've done a fantastic job of making this coffee not only be functional, but taste fantastic. And if you want to try NeuroRoast, you can use code Shane White. So it's super simple, just Shane White at checkout. Um, you'll also get 30% off. So if you go to neuroroast.com, and once again, I have added that to the show notes. So just click into the show notes while you're listening to this episode. You can click on NeuroRoast link directly. Don't forget to use code just Shane White, and you'll get 30% off your order. Um, hope you guys love both these products. I'm trying to not only bring you guys products that I use, but that I believe in on the podcast. Uh, I'm not taking ad reads for any brands that I don't really believe in. So anyway, hope you guys love both those products, yourroutine.com and neuroroast.com. I've added those links to the show notes. I uh, hope you guys love it. And I got an awesome guest coming up right after this. All right, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Shane White Show. I am pumped today to have Mike Warren on the podcast. He is the CEO and founder of Aletheia Strategic Business Solutions, as well as the founder and managing partner of Aletheia Venture Partners, which is one of the big reasons I wanted to have you on today, Mike. For everyone listening, um, would you mind just giving everyone a little bit of an intro into you and, and what you do? Wow. Okay. Well, first, uh, uh, thank you for having me on. I really appreciate it. It's a. Uh, it goes back a, a very long way to uh, to birth. Quite honestly, uh, I'm 55, and I have been in the CPG space uh, literally since I was born. My dad was a buyer for 46 years for two major grocery chains in California. One oh, being, cool. yeah, Alpha Beta Markets for 20 plus years and then certified grocers, which is now unified grocers. And he was the uh, tobacco, alcohol and candy buyer. Wow, so, what a combo. <laughs> dude, you have no idea. Like you could imagine what was in my house and in my garage when I was growing up, you know, it was, it was booze and, uh, you know, chewing tobacco and smokes and all the candy products you could imagine. And so, you know, I was very popular in the uh, in the neighborhood as well as the schoolyard, because you know every day I would take a uh, I take a briefcase filled with candy and like uh, beef jerky products and, and anything I could get in there, and I would I would sell. You know, I was ten years old. I was rolling around the playground with twenty bucks in my pocket, and it was uh, and it was cool. My dad my dad had a huge influence on me, and and you know I learned the I learned the Bev space, learned the CPG space very 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 early in life and and spent a lot of my summers between traveling you know with my parents to to uh europe and things like that because because i'm greek um 
we would also go to Napa and Sonoma and all the great wine regions. And my dad was very close to uh, the Jamaras and the Wente brothers and uh, Paul Masson and, and uh, it, you know, all the, all the big producers. And so my brother and I used to get to play in the chateaus and the vineyards when we were kids. And I learned, uh, in fact, I learned a couple of weeks ago talking to my dad. He's like, he's like, yeah, you know, I think your, your first uh, uh, sip of wine and champagne was when you were about 11 years old, running around, uh, you know, through, uh, uh, some in of Napa, the nonetheless, though. Yeah, it was really cool. So I, I got to see a lot of manufacturing, uh, you know, different types of, of manufacturing plants from water to uh, to candy. To, I mean, you name it. We just we just traveled and and I, it, it was very cool being in that environment. And so, you know, progressing through my life, I got to be around 15 and my dad helped my brother and I start a business in the CPG space working in the warehouses taking uh, salvage damaged uh, goods, repacking it, and getting it back into distribution for the retailers. And, and I did that for several years and ended up selling that business. That was my first uh, company that I sold when I was around 28 years old. Wow, and good that for you. really kind of launched you know, me going into the securities industry. So, so during that time, I'd worked for every broker from Bromar to Bradshaw, Advantage Sales Marie, you name it, nationwide brokers. But I'd also worked for many manufacturers like Coca-Cola, Kingsford Charcoal, uh, McCormick Schilling, uh, several beverage companies along the way, a lot of Gatorade products. So I'd, I'd seen everything from frozen foods all the way to, uh, you know, everything else, canned goods in, in the stores. And I had had a couple stints with um, Sunshine Biscuits, Dow Corporation, a Japanese company called Daily Foods doing frozen stuff. So I, I had been in the space you know, literally, you know, my whole life. And then, and then when I sold that company, uh, I decided to go into the securities industry where I went to work for a couple of fortune 500 companies, American express, Prudential, uh, New England financial. And then ultimately I, I ended up in my own shop, uh, doing my own financial services, uh, joined a broker dealer with a partner of mine. We took a bunch of companies, public, a bunch of companies, private, uh, several of those were still in the CPG space. So I had a tequila company, a, uh, a mango rum liqueur company, uh, coffee company, sports energy drink. We also had some nano products, and then we had a dessert company as well. So I, I always kind of stuck around the, the CPG space. And even though I was in the investment banking world and doing deals, I, I you know, no matter what, I just kept getting sucked into it. Everybody was like, hey, you know, you... You've, you've done this and that in the business. Can you help us scale? Can you give us strategy? Can you can you work with our teams? And uh, and and I just kept getting sucked in. So ultimately, you know, when I finally decided to get out of being a licensed uh, individual, which is always an issue when you've got S, you know, the SEC and Finra and you're running firms, uh, I just got tired of that. And and I exited about five years ago. Decided to go into private equity. Figured out I was um, unemployable at that point <laughs> in my life. Like, like I, you know, I, I fit in with with a lot of people, but you know, I'm not an employee anymore, and I haven't been for a long time. So, you know, I really wanted to just invest in companies and uh, in advice forms, sit on boards, uh, you know, do advisory work, and and so I spent a couple of years in private equity, and I figured out I hate it. I don't want to own anybody's business. 
Uh, I don't want to manage anybody's business. I don't want to run anybody's business. So in private equity was not for me. And about a year ago, I decided, you know what, I'm going to do a fund. It actually was about a year and a half ago, but it took me a little while to, you know, kind of move through the cycle of it. And so uh, I really started working on the fund piece around March or April of last year. And I said, hey, where, where am I going to get the most bang for my buck? And I love beverage. And I love anything that supports beverage, both on the non-outside and the outside. And I love media tech that also supports beverage. And I love fintech that supports beverage. So, uh, it, you know, those are all my backgrounds. And, and it was just a very natural transition for me to, to go from, you know, just being an investor, uh, being an advisor, or coaching people for, you know, 20 plus years to going and saying, hey, you know what, I'm going to start finding brands. And I'm going to start investing in them, and and we're going to help them along the way, and and you know get some exits in three to five years, and and really accelerate the Bev space, and and that's what we're doing. And I you know I just I love it. So I I know that was long winded. I apologize to everybody listening, but yeah, this this has been my life for 55 going on 56 years now. I just I love this space. I love CPG. Uh, it's almost bomb proof uh, in in any kind of market. And I know what the statistics say about how many products are out there, but I really believe that, you know, people are not going to stop drinking, um, whether it's alcohol or or non-alc. And there's going to be new products coming on the market, and and we like to be the forefront of of finding those those brands and not only helping them come to market, but um, getting them to an exit exit stage as well. Oh, I love that, Mike. Yeah. Thanks for giving that that background. It, you know, yeah. it was funny because as I was doing my research before we we uh, we did this recording today, I was like, "Holy smokes!" Like Mike has done a lot of cool stuff. So yeah. that was really a good overview for everyone listening. Because my takeaway was like, "Holy shit, this guy's done this guy's done so many different things." I would love to hear the story of how he got to where he is. So, so Mike, you you've been in the industry for a long time. You've obviously been in CPG. Just walk through that. Um, why do you think where you are now in starting this fund um, was it? Do you think this was just the right time, right place to do so? It's it's interesting because before we started recording, the reason I'm asking this question to kick things off is, as we both know, the fundraising space has been really tough over the last you know 12 to 18 months for a lot of CPG brands, and I've seen that too. Um, so for you, did you see? Did you think it was more of an opportunity? Like you you think you can come in and, and help brands? from that angle or was it just for you as a as part of your career journey you were excited to to jump in and and, and really run a fund you know that that's a that's a great question and and uh, you know i've thought about that a lot especially over the last 6 months because fundraising has been a challenge um not only for for the brands themselves but it's been a challenge for funds as well you know i'm i'm very close with a few other funds in this space, primarily Bev funds, and they've had a hard time too. And and so you know when I've thought about timing, you know, I mean, is there ever a good time to start anything? Honestly, like you just got to jump in. It the, the economy may be bad, the product may need some work. Uh, you know, interest rates might be where they're at. You know, the the every category of of Bev from out to non-out is different. Tequila is different from rum. Rum's different from gin. Gin's right. You go through these cycles. So you know, tequila is has been very hot. Uh, whiskey is getting even hotter right now. 
uh, gin is on its way up. So trying to time the market uh, for when to start a fund or when to invest, uh, you know, as a very disciplined investor over, you know, the last 25 years of my life running broker dealers and investment banks and things like that. You know, we, we've always touted to people, don't try and time your investments, just get in there and systematically invest and, and find the right uh, mixture of investments, right? So a fund like ours is an alternative investment. It's a choice. It's not a necessity. Uh, we're, we're not creating income for people. We're, we're taking chances and swinging sometimes for the fences and sometimes just trying to hit singles, right? And, you know, the timing for me was I, I was I was getting to the end of really spending a lot of time doing a lot of coaching, executive coaching, which I've been doing for, a, a, you know, like I said, 20 plus years. And I just got to the point where I I I, I wanted to coach companies that I owned a piece of oh, instead sure. of coaching companies where they pay me a bunch of money. Uh, they They get me for a certain amount of time and then I leave them. And and they either do better, hopefully, or they ride off in the sunset uh, and sell or whatever. But I never had any equity in them. And a lot of those companies, if, if you look on my website, you know, they're Fortune 50 to 1,000. Those guys aren't going to give me pieces of their company and, and, and let me grow them. Yes, I've sat on a lot of boards. I've sat on a lot of advisory boards. I've gotten stock for compensation. But, you know, I've never been in a, in a, in a position where I've been able to invest and then really help shape the company itself on a on a magnitude of multi companies. So when I really started thinking about the fund, I just I, I was I wanted more excitement in my life. I, I wanted to reinvent myself again. You know, I it, I guess you could call it uh, Mike Warren's midlife crisis. But I you know instead of going out and buying the Porsche and the you know and the boat and all that stuff, I was like, man, I've had the boat, I've had the Porsche, I've had all that crap. Like it. It doesn't matter to me. I want to do something meaningful in my life. I want to. I want to leave some legacy, you know, things to my to my daughter, and, you know, and, and the people I care about. And the only way to do that is you got to build wealth, and you got to build it from the inside out. And the mm. only way to do that is you either start it yourself, you invest in it, uh, or you inherit it. I mean, that's that's really what it comes down to. And so I got to this point in my life. I was like, damn, man, like. What do I do? You know, I'm tired of coaching. I've been investing, you know, but I'm not investing at a level where I have any real control uh, over the outcome other than, you know, giving them enough money to, to, to keep going. And that wasn't enough for me. I, I wasn't satisfied with that. And, and, uh, and that's what it was. And so, yeah, you know, we entered the market in, in a really, you know, shitty time, honestly, like, you know, interest rates going up, inflation through the roof, unemployment, you know, uh, you could talk politically on whichever side you want. Uh, but, you know, we, it's been a daunting, daunting time in our in our history to uh, raise capital. Right. And so could I have picked a better time like 21 and 22 when money was pouring into funds and pouring into products? Maybe. But here's what I've seen from a lot of those companies now where they poured a lot of money in, now they're doing down rounds. They're, they can't find money. They're not operating profitably. They're still raising capital to try and raise capital to profitability. And a lot of those companies are flailing, which is where you're seeing a lot of people coming back going, man, I need more money, need more money, need more money. And there's no more money for them to get right now. So a lot of those companies are failing. 
and they're gonna go out of business. So I think it's always better to invest at the bottom than invest at the top. In 21 and 22, we saw valuation screaming and we saw money pouring in. And so a lot of people were putting money in at the top. And now a lot of those companies are coming back going, man, we need more money and there's no more money to give them. Had they mm. scaled slower or taken less money and, and been better at operating and getting better to a point of profitability, they wouldn't be in these positions right now. So I, I think I entered the market, believe it or not, probably at the best time for finding great brands opposed to not having enough money going through the market. That will shake itself out no matter yeah. what. That, it always does. It always has. I'm not afraid of that market. Um, I'm not afraid to have to talk to 10 more people than I ever had to to raise capital. Um, I'll have those conversations all day long. I, I'm more worried that I'm picking the right companies that have the right operators so that when I do give them money that took me 10x to get, that they're going to know what to do with it. We're going to be able to help shape that for them, and they're going to have a really good exit from it, and our investors are going to make a lot of money. I mean, that's really what it comes down to. So, yeah, I mean, you know, going back to the original, man, I just, I was having a midlife crisis of what I was having. I was like, shit, what do I do with myself? Honestly, like, I was like, I, I'm, I'm right at this weird place, you know, at, at the time I was 54, uh, thinking about it. And yeah, I was just like, let's do something crazy, man. I, you know, I like let's, go, let's, let's go find some people that are, that are equally as crazy or if not crazier than I am to join me on this journey. You know, my team and they're, they're, you know, they're crazy mother effers, man. I'll tell you, <laughs> and, 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 but they're, but they're great. And, and, you know, so yeah, it just, it, it was, it was a Mike Ward moment. And no, it, I, it, it makes yeah. sense. I mean, I mean, Mike, I can tell that I can feel the passion yeah. from what you're doing now, which is, is super cool. I mean, I know, Everything you just said is something that, you know, me and my co-founder with what we're doing, we, we see and hear and feel it for sure. Just, it's been such a shift. I, and I used to say six months now, it's really been like 12 plus of, man, so many brands were just top line, top line, top line. And I, I remember vividly having conversations being like, well, what about the bottom line? Like, are we, are we focused on this? Are we not worried about it? Because me wearing my finance hat, I'm like, I, I couldn't run a business like that. It'd be tough for me to understand. So to hear hear what you're saying, I've seen it on the ground as well. It's been such a shift, and it's really interesting. I think you're coming in at a time personally. I, I have a feeling 2024, no matter what happens with all these macroeconomic things and the election, I, th I have a feeling 2024 is going to be a huge opportunity year, like a huge year to deploy capital. I don't know why. It's like everything I'm seeing, everything I'm hearing, everything I'm reading, every, all the numbers within Amazon that I work with. It's all pointing to this should be just a mass. We'll look back on 2024. I think 2023 was a huge year of people, some people going out of business, a lot of people trying to recalibrate their businesses. But I think 2024 is going to be a springboard into a lot of really strong growing companies. I I couldn't agree more. I, you know, people ask me all the time, and um, you know, I think if if you looked in in my LinkedIn and and you know into my resume, I I spent five years teaching at the university level, and I and I taught strategy and uh, you know, strategic economics. And, and, and I really, you know, I follow trends in the CPG in, in every market out there. And, you know, with the environment we have right now, interest rates being where they're at, people don't have to invest money. Okay. Right. They don't have to deploy. A, a guy who has a hundred million dollars in his bank can collect 
on a on a on a laddered uh, bond strategy could get eight and a half nine percent if they really know what they're doing, right? Mm -hmm. So yeah. you're talking a hundred million bucks, and this guy is generating what eight nine ten million a year off that money right now. That guy doesn't need to deploy capital. That guy can sit and wait till the world either falls apart or they start seeing the trends coming up. Well, we know that interest rates have to come down this year at some point. I don't care if it's March or June or whenever it is, but we're in an election year, number one. Right. Um, we've got a, a, a administration that wants to retain the office. Uh, if interest rates stay where they're at, number one, there won't be anybody putting money into alternative investments because they don't have to which is not going to help the economy whatsoever. It's not going to drive inflation down at all. And I don't care how much they raise the interest rates. We haven't seen inflation move. Let's let's get real, right? Right, right. So they have to increase the flow of money back into the into the economy. And the only way to do that is to lower interest rates. And once you do that, you're going to get all these sideline people off the sidelines because they're going to need to invest in alternative investments where they can get higher rates of return, where they're not getting it in their money market account, their checking account, their Schwab account, their Merrill Lynch. I don't care what it, what it is, you know, where you're getting all these preferred rates. So I see, you know, what I'm really looking at, I, I think Q2 is going to be the start of money flowing back in. Q3 is really going to take off. But where you're going to see the economic benefit is going to be middle of 2025. That's that's. That's what I see. So you got to get your money moving now. Mm -hmm. You got to get it working now. If you don't get it working now, you're going to end up starting to get that money moving third quarter and everybody kind of dies in the fourth quarter and waits till the first quarter. Now you're not looking at having any money moving until 2026, right? Okay. And right. a lot of the companies that we're, you know, we're, we're investing in right now, uh, they're months away from profitability. So we're not just ramping them up and giving them money so that they can stay in business. We're giving them money strategically so that they're going to be profitable, you know, at the very least in the, you know, 20 middle of 2025, but many of those companies are going to be profitable this year. And that tells me that we're picking people that are good operators or great operators. They've got some great products and that our advisement and the and the money that we're giving them is going to a place that's going to help them get to profitability. Because this year, if you don't work towards profitability, I don't care what you do. 2025, you're going to be either looking for money or looking for a job, period. They, yeah, it makes a lot of sense. Yeah, I mean, for you, I mean, you must hear a lot of pitches. You must talk to a lot of brands, I'm assuming, right? I'm sure it's all the yeah. time. Weekly. If you had to guess, just to throw a number out there, how many of those brands that you think you talked to, like if you had to put all those on a piece of paper for you know week to week on average, how many of those do you think now in the last you know 30 days have you talked to that are either profitable or have a clear line of sight in the next quarter or two to be profitable? Like what is it a high, very high percentage at this point? Five percent. Wow. Okay, so it's still really low. Well, you got a lot of people who are who are putting performance together that are built on error. Okay, where, sure, sure. <laughs> where they're like, oh, you're one, we're going to do a million dollars. Where you're, you're one in the bed space, you're lucky if you do 500, you might get 250 out there, right? You got to really, you got to really get into distribution. But let's be honest, just because you get into distribution doesn't mean you have any pull through. It doesn't mean that you've got actual sales. You're just filling the pipeline right now, right? So your first year numbers to me are, are usually bullshit. When I look at them, I'm like, okay, great. You did 500. Let's see what you did in year two. And if I see velocity going, I see things moving. And, and listen, we have some brands that, that aren't even there yet. They're still in year one. Um, 
But if I see it, you know, some trajectory in year two, or we've got some companies that have been around three, four, five, seven, eight, nine years now. What one that we've got that's 10 years into it right now. Uh, you know, and I'm watching velocity go up and I'm seeing how they spend money. And I'm looking at their performance, both the ones that they've come up with lately and the ones that they had three years ago when they were formulating. And I look to see, you know, were they realistic? You know, I have one company that's that came to me and said, hey, we're going to do a million dollars this year, and next year we're going to do $29 million. And I wow. looked at it and I was like, <laughs> uh, where is it, it? Is it going to fall out of the sky? Like, show me the show me the plan. Right. And yeah. they had this incredibly robust, amazingly perfect performer that they must have spent 20 grand with some, you know, crazy CPA, CFO, you know, doing projections for them. That looked so good on paper, but the reality was complete horseshit. Like, really? Like, there's no way you're going to get into, you know, you're going to go from 1,000 doors to 30,000 doors in a year. It's not going to happen. You right. don't have enough money in the bank to do it. So I looked for reality, right? Like, I'm looking for, uh, are these people sane? That's number one, right? Mm -hmm. And so a lot of the brands that have come to me, let's, let's call it since uh, November, 5% of those people actually have a real uh, plan for success. The rest of them are very pie in the sky, products that look the same, feel the same, taste the same as 30 other products that are on the market. Uh, and and we're, you know, we're a fund that looks for premium products, things that differentiate. Uh, you know, I could tell you five of our brands right now, are, there's nothing else in the market like it. And, okay. and there's no, there's going to be no real competition for them just because, of how good the product is, how great the marketing is, the people behind it, the you know the money that's gone into it, they've got some major competitive advantages. So when I see decks and I see twenty or thirty of them a week, um, and I will you know I, before this month I was seeing fifteen, I was taking fifteen meetings a week with new brands just to get an idea of what was out in the marketplace. And there you know there are very few that were you know, really put together. I mean, all put together. I mean, a lot of people show good at first, but, you know, I've, I've learned over the years that you, know, you can't rush into, you can't rush into anything. So there, you know, some of the brands that were just now engaging, we've been in talks with them for, you know, six, seven, eight months. I've, okay. I've wanted to, to sit back and see, you know, how they've operated both, you know, when they're a little desperate or, or when they're in a really good position. And I think we've picked some, amazing winners that we're going down the road with uh you know but for the most part man like there's a lot of crap out there right now i mean it's just it's a junk filled space because there is no barrier to entry in the in the in the booze space or even in the non-booze space i mean anybody can go to a you know a, a um you know a co-packer who is also formulator and mm -hmm. has an art department, and next thing you know, they got the next greatest vodka drink, right? Sure. Okay. Yeah. I right. Mean, right. 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 It's that right. easy. It's that easy. You can go and you know get whiskey that's been aged for eight, ten, twelve years, and buy those barrels and make your own whiskey and slap your own label. It's so easy to get in this market, and and I think people have gotten this allure that you know that Ryan Reynolds makes six hundred million dollars off his gin, and you know, and this and that. And I, all these people get these giant exits and they think it's easy, but it's not. This is, this is, in my opinion, from working in, in the grocery and retail space and CPG almost my entire life, 
beverage is one of the hardest categories in the store, no matter what. And it's one of the most competitive for shelf space too. It costs yeah, sure. most. Um, it, it is, it's the most highly sought after. That's why Coca-Cola and Pepsi and, you know, Budweiser and, and Coors, that's why they own all the shelf space. Right. 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 They've dominated it and paid for it. And breaking into that is very difficult. And yeah, I mean, yeah. it's got to be, you know, I mean, it, 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 it takes a, it takes a strong will and an, an iron stomach and a shitload of sleepless nights to create a brand that really, you know, takes off. And, and the founders, you know, that I see out there that, you know, have, have figured it out, man, they'll all tell you the same thing. Like they don't sleep at night. They work 16 hour days. There's no days off, you know, there's no vacations. There's um, no family time. Like it's, it's rough. And, and until you get that exit or you're damn close to it, you know, guess what? You're in it. You're in the fire mm-hmm. till, till the bitter end. And so I'm looking for those people that are super highly resilient, whether they come from a marketing background or a finance background or a beverage background. It doesn't matter. Like, you know, just because you've been successful once in this business does not mean you're going to have it again. And just because you haven't had success and you haven't been in this business doesn't mean you're not going to be successful either. I like that. That's a, that's a good point, too. It's yeah. True. Sometimes, um, yeah, because I, I was going to say, I, I feel like they're, what's interesting, I'll, I'll build on what you said, because I, I do see a lot of it too. It seems like, I remember I started this podcast in 2020, like right when COVID kind of kicked off and I was at home and I had all this extra time. And I did have a couple early beverage brands on. And I remember back then even, Mike, it was like the conversation was so much around how complicated and difficult it was to get a product to market. And you fast forward now to 2024, basically almost to the date, four years after I started this. And it's kind of remarkable how, I don't want to say easy, but to your point, it's what you said. And I, I do agree now that I'm thinking about it. Like the barrier to entry to bring something new in beverage is wild. But what I don't understand, Mike, and, and you're, you're closer to this than I would be. If I look at any CPG category, maybe the barrier to entry to get a product designed, created, and, and ready to sell is, the easy, is one of the easiest. Um, but it's so much more expensive to distribute, right? It's heavy. It's not the right, like even for e-com, it's, it's a hard, it's a harder product. You have to really get throughput quick. So why do you think, why do you think there's so many new beverage brands? If you were to guess, obviously this is your bread and butter, but it just seems like, yeah, the barrier to entry is low. But after that, unless people just are a little bit naive on what it takes to get a, a beverage brand distributed, um, it's, it's, it's been, it's, it's been a, a puzzling thing to me. Cause I feel like there's been so much in the beverage space, like, and I'm, I know I'm, I'm, I'm rambling here a little bit, but me and my co-founder, when we went to Expo West last year, I mean, our biggest takeaway last year out of any, anything we saw, our number one takeaway when we came home was the non-alcoholic space, like how many new products there were. It was incredible. And there was a lot of really good ones, honestly. Yeah. Um, Colas, curious Beavers, you know, I, I, I've seen five new entrants in the, in the cola space, um, two that I really love. I've seen five different beers come online one that i just think is absolutely the the next front runner to um athletic brewing mm. uh, yeah but to go back to your question so there's two things right <clears throat> the first one is covid uh gave a lot of people a lot of opportunity okay it certainly hurt uh retailers for a while it hurt supply chain 
but what it didn't hurt was the DTC, the direct-to-consumer um, market. And the direct-to-consumer market shined when, you know, COVID hit because obviously we were in lockdown. You couldn't go get toilet paper, whatever. But, man, you could get booze delivered to your house. Right. You yeah. could get beverage delivered to your house. And a lot of things that people were buying, they were like, man, this this doesn't taste very good, or I can do this better, right? So that barrier to entry during the COVID time was easy because everybody's shipping, you know, DTC, right? Direct-to-consumer. Um, we've seen direct-to-consumer slow down considerably in the last year. Why? Because every retailer's opening up again. You got people on the streets. You got people going to restaurants again. You got points of distribution um, that did not exist uh, during COVID, right? So the barrier to entry was even lower during that time. And so a lot of people banked on the fact that that would continue going. Well, that has not continued going. And even DTC is a hard road now because the cost of acquisition is much higher than it was three years ago. Sure, it's sure. Way higher. And you know, as a digital marketer, yeah. right, that, your 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 COA is totally different than it was three years ago. The Bev space is the same. Shipping is is more expensive. So that product that's on the shelf for eleven dollars that you want delivered to your house now costs you eighteen dollars. Right? That's a that's a tough pill for people to swallow unless you're confined to your house or you're just so rich or so lazy you can't get up and go to the store. Right? right. Yeah. Right. Uh, which there's a lot of people like that. Right. Sure. But for most consumers, uh, in that space, you know, is 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 dwindling. People want to get out. They want to go shopping. I see more people at the grocery store than I do in in restaurants around me now because people just they want to congregate. I go to the Whole Foods down the street from me and you can't get a cart down the aisle anymore. There's so many people shopping. Oh, wow. OK. At all hours of the day. Right. So the retailers know that that space is more valuable now. So you've got the convergence where, you know, DTC is starting to dwindle a little bit, but then you have the retailers that are getting all this business. So the retailers can charge more for their slotting allowances, for the placement in the stores. They can charge you more for advertising, more for demoing, more for placement, more for anything. So now you need more money to enter the retail space. The direct-to-consumer is slowing down a little bit. It's not dead. It never will be, but it is slowing down a little bit. So you need different channels, right? Um, Amazon's a great channel. Walmart's a great channel. Uh, one of our brands, NBTV, another great channel. Uh, Amazon meets QVC on, on, online. You can order the product while you're watching TV, right? Right, uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, there's some great stuff going on, but it was so much easier during COVID to to launch a product. And I think we're now getting the catch up of all the people that tried to launch during that time that are now going, oh crap, I really need money now. Oh crap, I can't just get distribution now. Oh man, Molson Coors and Budweiser take up 85% of the shelf space in the cold box. How am I gonna get my, my product in the cold box when it needs to be refrigerated, right? But they can't do it. So what are they doing? They're going to try and partnering up with Molson or Budweiser to get distribution. And now those guys, you know, they're making bank off it because they're like, oh, we'll peel a little little sliver off our cold sure. box. Yeah, they see an opportunity. It's cost you this and this and this. Right. And this. 
So I, you know, there's there's a shift, and 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 listen, these all go in waves, right? I mean, retail is a is a wavy market. Uh, the the places where you're gonna you're gonna have the hardest time is in Bev and probably the cereal aisle. I mean, quite honestly, how many new cereals have you seen? How many new Captain Crunches have you seen come out in the last thirty years? Right? Oh yeah, for sure. I mean. The cereal aisle is such a funny one that you hit on. I mean, I, we were at when RX Bar got, got acquired by Kellogg. Like, I, I spent a good six, seven months, like, actually in the Kellogg organization before we yeah. left and started Noble. And it was wild to me, like, just the conversations that were being had. I mean, again, it was it, Walmart and Kellogg. It's like they're, their CEOs are a phone call away. And if, right. if Walmart wants something, Kellogg's like, okay, how, you know what I mean? It's like, when when I was there and, and sitting in and hearing how these conversations work for the biggest cereal brands, I'm like, well, yeah, no wonder it's so hard for, for brands to break out. Being a novice and like only seeing the RX success story, yeah. you know, you're like, man, if you're, you know, all these other small food and beverage brands, like, wow, it's such, it's such an uphill battle when it comes to the huge, I mean, these big CBG brands have had a hundred years to to build up space and take up real estate. It's, it's wild. hundred percent, man. hundred percent. I mean, think that, so, so you look at it in the, Let's just, you know, let's take that that cereal space for a second. Let's transfer it to the Bev space. Who's on those shelves, right? You got Pernod Ricard, you got Bacardi, you've got Constellation, you got Diageo, you got Molson Coors, you got you got you know Budweiser. You got you know seven or eight big guys that own everything, right? right. And so the little guys trying to get in there, and then they're going for distribution at Southerns or you know or Breakthrough or Empire, whoever they're going through. And these guys are the feeders, right? But they're no longer working your product. So the distributors no longer work the product. So the retailer doesn't really care how many people come in as long as they're paying mm -hmm. and how many people they discontinue because they know that there's a line wrapped around the building 75 times of people that will jump in that space and pay for it. Sure. Right? So, yeah, yeah, so yeah. the distributors and the big retailers and you know, those eight or nine companies out there, they've got a lock on it. So you have to go out. I, I attribute it. I, I equate it to the the record industry, right? It used to be Warner and Sony and all these big ones, right? And they'd go out and sign an act. And then they would develop that act for eight, nine, 10 years. And then they'd break them out and turn them into stars. Record companies don't do that anymore. That's what indie labels are for. That's what you're going and getting your music on Spotify is for. That's what building up your following is for because those big record labels are not going to take you anymore. They're mm -hmm. going to buy you from a smaller label. And for you to get on a smaller label, you've got to go through the minor leagues, right? Ah, okay. Beverage sure. is exactly the same way. You have to go through the minor leagues. You got to start your brand. You got to get your distribution, whether it's on-premise or off-premise, you got to work that product. You got to get into a distributor you got to get the distributor to try and get you into the states or areas you want. You got to hire a sales team to work that because the distributors are not going to before you're ever going to get into the eyes of a, you know, a Constellation or a Pernod Ricard or a Bacardi or anybody who's going to even remotely want to buy you. You got to mm. go from the grassroots through the indie leagues all the way up to the majors, and it just takes time, and you got to operate right. I mean. We've got a couple of breakout brands that, I mean, quite frankly, we got two brands right now that are, um, it, it, they could easily be sold in three years and they're just getting started because they, they just have it. They have the it factor. And, and we're going to have some major exits with, with these brands because we've already been approached by many of the majors 
to buy him out before we've even gotten started just based on who's involved in and what the distribution contracts look like. Oh, wow. So, okay. Yeah, and it's just a matter of, of pouring a little you know, sugar and a little cream into the coffee and stirring and drinking. It's, it's that easy for a couple of them. But for everybody else, man, you got to work your ass off. You have to operate right. You have to manage your cash flow. You got to manage your people. You got to manage your spend. You got to you got to manage your marketing budget. You you got to know where to put that money, right? Like you got to you got to know if if let's say breakthrough says, "Hey man, we'll give you we'll give you 40 state distribution," right? Well, if you're a new brand, 40 state distribution doesn't do a damn thing for you. In fact, it can actually derail you because in your mind you're thinking, "Holy shit, I've got 40 states. I'm going to fill 40 states up." Well, then you go down and you start playing with the pencil and you start, you know, doing addition and subtraction. You're like, holy shit, I need $25 million to, to penetrate 40 states, sure. right? Oh, yeah. But here's the problem. Shane, some of these people, they think they can actually do that. So they go out and they try and do these massive raises. And when they get to me after they failed on doing those massive raises, I'm like, well, your plan's all screwed up. Like, you, you, you've, you've been too ambitious with your dreams. Pick one state. Maybe pick one county, one area, and penetrate that, right? And again, go back to the music industry, right? Every great band starts out as what? A local band. There's right. no band that gets together and starts touring the world in their and first hope, And hoping that they get sellout places never, everywhere. It wouldn't happen, happen. Right? Right. That's a good you analogy. You got to start locally, and then you got to start building regionally, and then you start got to start touring your state, and then your coast, and your region, right? It's, it's identical. Man, That's a really it, good analogy. It, it's the one that, that you know, and, and I'm only saying this because I worked in the record industry for a little while. I worked with some of the big labels, and, and I also worked with a few indie labels as, as well as I still consult and coach for, for um, Sony and Fremantle and some, oh, some, cool. big, some, some big companies in the entertainment space. And, and one of our GP partners, his wife is uh, head of production for North America for all of Netflix. So, oh wow, very we, cool. We really know the the music and the entertainment space really well. And yeah, it's I mean it's identical, man. It's it's the same path. So for you, Mike, I mean, you know, obviously you have an immense amount of knowledge, and you've seen how this can and can't work. Are there, you know, like we said, beverage has been a space I've been super interested in because it just seems like it's exploding. There's tons of there's so many brands that are trying to attack different aspects of it. Are there a few key? I would I want almost call them like subcategories in beverage right now that you're like, this is just such a prime opportunity. So like the opposite of the cereal aisle. I don't know if there's anything that like jumps out to you, you know, obviously from non-alk to alk, there's a lot there, but if there's a couple subcategories, anyone listening that's, you know, working on an idea that Mike is excited about. I think gin is the next up and comer breakthrough in the spirits category. For okay. from just whether, you know, listen, vodka is very played out. Um, there's still room, believe it or not, with as many tequila brands as there are out there. Tequila is still moving. And I see a lot of tequila deals. And I've got two in particular that I've got my eye on that I've had several meetings with that we are very interested. They're very interested. Um, but gin and whiskey. I mean, even whiskey right now, bur bourbon and 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 you know just whiskey in general is, is coming up you're seeing more japanese whiskeys hit the market you're seeing more american whiskeys hit the market uh, but you're not seeing the premium ones that you know the 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 old true 
and tried ones of the Wellers and and this, you know, Serzaks and 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 uh, you know all, all of those lines that are uh, out there. You know, not a lot of people have been able to to crack that, but there are a few whiskey brands that are starting to come up, and I think whiskey is going to be a big one. But man, I I love the gin market. Uh, there is no premium gin here in the United States. Um, oh, okay, I didn't we, know that. Yeah, I mean, you've got Hendrix, you got Bombay, you've got you know Monkey, you've got you got the normal players, but there's no real premium premium gin out there. Like you know, you know, if you look at Classe Azul selling bottles for. 300 bucks to 2,500, right? Um, you don't have that in the gin market. There's there's no $300 bottle of gin oh, that's yeah. on the shelf okay. of your of your restaurant right now, right? There's no $100 bottle of gin up there it, because all of those gins taste the same. And so there are some new gin entrants into the marketplace. One in particular uh, that's going to hit the U.S. in the next six months. That is in Europe right now. Uh, it's, it's going to be a blockbuster. I mean, it really is. And, and I think that market, I think that them coming into the market is going to open up a whole new premium market for other gins to come in, but they're going to already be down the line quite a bit in, in that category. So I think that's a good one, but you know, if, if you want to go to the non outside, you know, there's a, there's a few different ones out there that are really good, uh, brands that we're involved in. Haywell is one of them. Uh, Bear's Fruit is another one. Uh, key is another one. They're in the, the ketone space, so mm. there's no caffeine in it. Uh, the other one is Berry Organics. Uh, this is the the alternative that's crushing Pedialyte right now, and, and Pedialyte is losing market share daily to them. Oh, wow. uh, you know, those those are those are a few of the great brands. Um, we we just have and, and I'm I'm naming them not only because we're investing in them, but they truly are. Out of all the brands I've seen out there, they're fantastic. Uh, here's a non-alcoholic beer that we're not involved with yet, but uh, I think somewhere down the line we will invest is Best Day Brewing. Their product, hands down, beats anything Athletic puts out from a taste perspective. Oh, wow. yeah, kills them. Kills them. Okay. Because I, yeah. I actually I love yeah. Athletic Brewing. I, I think they have some really, really good stuff. So I'll have to check that out. What's it called again? That... It's called Best Day. Best day. And okay. I'll check probably, it out. So where athletic is, you know, the 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 head and and at the top of the Ironman triathlon world, and that's where they got their start. Um, Best day is now the sponsor for the professional pickleball tour. Oh, that's where I've seen them. Yep. Yep. Yeah, yep. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, and it's fantastic. I mean, it's just a great brand. Uh, and and the the management, the the operations of that uh, company are fantastic. Uh, you know, we're, we're starting to delve in Mezcal. I think Mezcal is going to be a huge market as well. So you're seeing some mediocre Mezcals out there. You're seeing some lower priced ones, uh, that are, that are doing very well, but there's going to be some premium Mezcals that are coming out that are in the 150 to $300 range that are going to blow the market away. Right. Wow. So there's, okay. Okay. I, I think those are great markets The the canned wine space. Holy crap. That's one, Mike, I know nothing about. Oh, man. Canned wine is so interesting to me, though, because me yeah. and my wife have this conversation all the time. I, I've actually <laughs> been drinking a lot less over the last – once we had our – we have a one-year-old. Yeah. Whenever, as soon as he was born, for whatever reason, something clicked in my head where like I'm like, I can't have drinks in the evening if he's going to wake up all night. Like I just had a couple of those nights where I was so exhausted. I'm like, I'm going to cut – so I, I've actually drank a lot less over the, over the last year. But so when we do have wine, 
So, I mean, it's obviously for two people, it's very easy to have each have two glasses and you finish a bottle. Sure. But we've always said like, it's the one form of alcohol that's so interesting where like you have to cork it. And then technically it's usually only good for a couple of days. Like it always forces you to just finish a bottle. And we've always said like a single serve or some way to have like a multi-serve wine. There's, I mean, there's probably a good reason why it hasn't been done, but it, it's always been an obvious one to me of, of, you know, I, I cannot imagine we're in the minority here of, of being like, wait, why the hell do we have to, we have to finish this nice bottle because just because it's going to not be as good in a couple of days. I love this space because I grew up in the wine space. Okay. Right. Okay. Yeah. yeah. My dad and Robert Mondavi were buddies and, you know, like, cool. yeah. So, and, and you know, Paul Masson and, uh, the Wente brothers, the Jamaras, like these were families we hung out with when I was a kid. And I'm not saying that to brag. I'm just like, we were nobodies. We, my dad was just a buyer, you know, they would have us up, but you know, we, we got, I got very familiar in the wine, you know, in the wine space. And I really, I love wine. I, I collect it. Uh, I, I just got back from, from Paris and I was in Chablis and Burgundy for a week, uh, wow. last week. And, and I got to, you know, taste and, and sample and buy some of the finest wines in the world from there, uh, because I know the vintners and I know the, the owners. And I will tell you, wine is, um, it's very hard to perfect in a can. Okay. Very, okay. very difficult. And the reason why it hasn't been done is because everybody who's tried it sucks at it. Oh, they okay. Put, they put terrible juice in it. They haven't figured out, um, how to can it properly. And they just, you know, it's one of those things where, you know, most people who drink a lot of wine or collect wine, they're snobs. Okay. Sure. I'm just going to say sure. it. Like yeah, I was right. one too. I was like, I'm never drinking wine out of a can. Right. Or when that, what, what was that, uh, that one that you peel the top. Oh yeah. Of? It was like a, it was almost like a goblet. Yeah. Yeah. It, it was on shark tank. Um, can't, can't remember what the name of it is. It's that bad. Like it's that bad that I don't remember the name of it. And I see it in airports all the time. Yeah. I know you're talking about. Yeah. You know, which one. Um, so most people haven't figured out how to do it. Well, in the last couple of years, there's been a couple companies that have figured out how to do it. Um, one company in particular named Maker Wines. They're up in, uh, you know, the, the Bay Area. Uh, these three ladies have figured out how to do it in a way where you get super high quality wines at a very, very nice price point, And the wines keep. And what's great is they're single serving, like, I mean, I, I keep 30 or 40 of them around at all times because I might just want to have one glass. And, okay. and they've yeah. got everything from, from bubbly to, you know, to calves, to shards, to, you name it. But what's unique is they have figured out how to go to the, the small uh, wineries where they can't get big distribution with the gallows and, and all in the southerns and all these guys. And they're actually canning the wine on premise right there. And they're getting their best juice, oh, right? Wow. They're not okay. they're not taking the the blends and the crappy stuff and the stuff that's left over. They're actually driving the machine there. They're canning it on the spot, and the wine is as fresh as you could imagine. And it is fantastic. And they do this with all small batch wineries, a lot of women owned, women led wineries. Uh, I mean, it's just a fantastic way to do it. And they're killing it. And and they're again, they're one of our companies that uh, they know how to operate and will be profitable this year uh, opposed cool. to many of the other canned wine companies that are struggling can't get uh, they might have gotten distribution but their product tastes like crap and right. so every time our product gets on the shelf or maker's product gets on the shelf 
people go back to that and they stop buying the other stuff, right? So it's really, it's been a function where, number one, people have have this uh, mindset and opinion that wine doesn't come in a can. Mm -hmm. So you have to educate the, the, the consumer. And number two, most people have been putting crappy wine in cans. Yeah, I would, I would right? agree. Like, I, even if it was, even if the it looked awesome, I definitely have always had a preconceived notion that it would not taste good. So that yeah. has to be a tough overcome. But if you can come overcome that, and well, sampling's tough with alcohol, right? So you, you yeah, sampling's really marketing. tough. Yeah, really, really tough. But I mean, equated to box wine, like how many times have you gone yes. to the store and you and you picked up a a box of uh, you know ten dollar. Uh, a Chardonnay in a giant box, right? You do that for a party where you hate the people that are coming over, but <laughs> you, you don't do it, you know, for your finest of guests. I assure right. you that, right? Uh, but here's what's interesting: uh, at at my uh, at my golf club, I, I do a lot of tastings. You know, when when I'm in in Tucson, I, I live in Tucson and Miami, uh, back and forth a lot. So when I'm in Tucson, I take products to you know, parties that my, my other members are at. And these people are all, you know, they're all pretty wealthy people. They don't have to drink uh, RTDs. They can they can have a bartender with top shelf stuff sitting at their house pouring all day long. But I bring products all the time to have them try. The gins, the vodkas, the tequilas, everything we have. I brought the canned wine. I brought Maker to a party six months ago. And by the end of that party, not one bottle of premium stuff was pulled out of a cellar to drink. They were asking me to go back home and pick up more canned wine. Interesting. I so you think, so, do not. I mean, that I, makes sense. And it, you know, it, it. I mean, how many how many times have we? I'm sure we've all, everyone listening, and, and you and me, Mike, have been at a place where there's just not anything wine related that's available, but that's what no. you want to drink. And of yeah. course, there's beer. There's hard. I mean. It, it's so obvious to me, especially even like the, because in the hard alcohol space, like the spirit space, there's been a lot of um, like the mixings and like on the rocks have become popular. So it makes sense that canned wine would be right there. That's a, that's a great one. I mean, think, think of uh, an airplane, right? Uh, even in first class or business class, right? They're, they're toting these really fine wines. Well, what about the people that are sitting in, you know, in coach, right? Right. And they're pouring them this, this two buck chuck that tastes like crap, right? Wouldn't wouldn't you rather have a single serving that didn't come out of another you know crappy bottle, right? That they could just hand you and you're like, oh yeah, I'll take a I'll take a Chardonnay sparkling. Boom, here you go. Oh, I'd like a you know I'd like a Cabernet. Boom, here you go. Right? Yeah, it makes a ton of sense. It, it makes all the sense. And so you know, subsequently we're we're you know taking that product to a lot of airlines right now, and uh, we're on the verge of of launching in a in a couple airlines. Not not only just in the in the, you know, the lower level cabins, you know, they're going into business and first because a lot of people up there as well, you know, they serve usually a blend, a Pinot uh, in a cup, but you can take these cans, you can have, you have 10 different cans of that stuff and offer way more offerings to even your first class or business people. And yeah, they're premium so much wines, man. They're premium. I, I can't say enough about Maker. And it's not, again, it's not because we're an investor and it's because I've tasted all the other crap out there. Well, and it's Literally. cool that you can be passionate about the yeah. brands that you're investing in because you actually like them. You actually yeah. believe in them. There's a huge, so, I mean, you can feel, I can feel that. I can sense that. That, that makes yeah. a ton of sense. Yeah, and they're great operators. And, and again, you know, all, all of our brands, we, we don't have them if they can't operate. And, sure. and, you know, so it makes it a lot easier.
for yeah, us. Yeah, it makes sense. That makes sense, Mike. Um, I want to make sure I'm cognizant of your time because I know you're a busy man and, and I booked an hour with you. So, I'm Mike, good. the last the last question, I, I last couple yeah. questions, I really love to ask. Um, one for you, you're you're doing so much. Like again, if you look at I'll, and I'll I'll put in the show notes, but if you look at Mike's LinkedIn, like Mike, you're involved in so many things currently. Yeah. What What does Mike Warren use on a daily basis when you think about? You know, I don't know if you're a, a big picture guy, if, whether you have annual goals all the way down to what, what does Mike have to get done today? What tools does Mike Warren put him around himself, whether it's a pen and paper, an app, just what do you use to get shit done? So many years ago, before I started teaching, um, I was really interested in the org behavioral side of things, which is why I always started coaching people, I really want to understand how people operate, right? Uh, it, how they use emotional intelligence, how they use their, their IQ opposed to their EQ, uh, how, they, how they process information, uh, whether they follow their biorhythms or they wake up every morning at 4 a.m. and get stuff done, right? Everybody's different. So I read this book by David Rock called Your Brain at Work. Mm. And... I read this in grad school, and I read this in the first month that I was there. And uh, at the time, I was I was married. And if anybody knows me, they know that I can hold hold court in a conversation pretty well for long periods of time. I, I'm sure your your listeners are like, I wish this guy would shut up. No, so, no, you're delivering lots of knowledge. I love this. All right, cool. So so I read this book. And I was up at, I was in Malibu going to school at Pepperdine at the time, and, and we would stay weekends up there. And after I read this book, I literally figured out that everything I had done in my life, I had done backwards. Everything. And I, I, it, it made me sad, honestly. Like it, it hurt because I figured, man, I could have, I could have exited way better than I did in some deals. I could have handled this conversation differently with somebody. I could have handled this relationship. Like everything I did, like I set it up backwards. And I was like, fuck, man, really? Is this what I did in my life? And so I went home and I was silent for like three days. And my wife okay. at the time, finally, and, and she's a very introverted person. And, and so, you know, she she could go days without you know, having a lot of conversation. And, and finally at about day three, she just, she walked into my office and she said, are you okay? And I said, not really. She's like, did they brainwash you? Did you join a cult? Like what happened? <laughs> like, this is not you. You're the guy who's, you know, you've got all this energy and you only sleep like four hours a night. You got all this shit going on. And, and I just looked at her and I was like, I think I fucked my life up. I think I could have done things so differently and so much better. And, and I'd be in such a different place right now. And she said, what happened? And I said, well, I read a book that was all about the setup, setting yourself up for failure, setting yourself up for success, setting yourself up for, you know, mediocrity, setting yourself up for everything. And, and how you process and, and basically how your brain works. And so, you know, Rock's book, uh, it changed my life. It helped me hmm. understand how to prioritize things and know what's important and uh, whether you're a list maker or not, to set some disciplined rules around 
what needs to be accomplished and that accomplishing the hardest things first in your day will set you up for success because you will have the brain energy and power to handle the less tough things because they don't require as much brain energy. So I inherently became infatuated with brain science, understanding how my brain worked, my client's brain worked, and it's how I go about picking a lot of our, our brands. Okay. I want wow. to understand how they set their themselves up, their day, their company, the books, distribution, the, the marketing. I I so so how I do it personally, I spend the night before figuring out what my next day looks like and I'm trying to tackle the hardest things first so that as I get towards the end of the day, knowing that I'm now, you know, in my mid fifties, um, I don't have the brain capacity that I did when I was in my twenties or thirties. And I know that I have to work within the six inches of my ears much differently than I did 10 years ago or even five years ago. So, you know, the moral of this story, Shane, it's, it's all about the setup. You're either going to set yourself up for success or you're going to set yourself up for failure. So procrastination is a setup for failure, mm -hmm. uh, not uh, knowing what is going to be on your books for the next week or two or three is setting yourself up for failure. So I try not to do that. My calendar is open for all of my partners to see all the way out for the next year. So they know, am I in a meeting with a brand? Am I in a meeting with an investor? Am I in a meeting with, uh, you know, my priest, whoever? They know exactly where I'm at so that I, they know that I'm set up to try and accomplish at least two or three hard things a day. Because you're going to have a list of 10 or 20 or 50 or 100. You're not going to get to them. Right. But if you right. prioritize your hardest things earliest in the day when you have the most amount of brain power and energy, that's a good recipe for success, in my I, opinion. And that's what I try and do. I love that. And to do that, do you are you do you kind of like live in your calendar? Is your calendar kind of like your to-do list and planning? Or do you have 100%. like other lists and things? Yeah. No. My my calendar is is my life. I live by that calendar. I I have things planned out all the way until um, right now. I've got things planned out until October of 25. Wow. Okay. Okay. Like all sorts of stuff, business stuff, life stuff, all sorts of things. Yep. Very good. I like that. I know it's funny. I, um, this year, do you, I'm sure you do. Have you heard of Rob Deerdeck? Of course. He, have you heard about his like crazy life design tracking he does? No, but I, I love how good he is on a skateboard and, yeah. and, uh, and and when Chanel was uh, on the show looking good, that was fun to watch too. But, yeah. <laughs> he, you should look into it. He, um, yeah. he, he's kind of gotten me into this. Um, I, his CMO was um, my, one of my colleagues at our X bar. So I've had not Rob, but I've had the CMO on this podcast. And um, this year I've, I've like really leaned into my calendar and I have everything on there. And so like every day, essentially I have a, since the start of the year, I can tell you like how many hours I spent on Noble Partners, how much I spent with my family, how much I spent in the gym. I can tell you like everything and I have it all like charted out. Yep. And I don't say that to say like I'm like some weirdo keeping track of everything. It's just very eye opening mm -hmm. to show you like what you think you're spending the time on and then what you actually are. Yeah. And so I, I think it's a really cool thing you just said. I, I use that and then a combination. I just use this planner called the full focus planner. And it's mm -hmm. funny. You're like the third or fourth person in a row that's done a similar process. Like basically yeah. every night I plan out my big three for tomorrow. 
And that's yeah. from the big three from the week. And then that yeah. all mirrors up to my annual goals. And it's funny, like that concept is so sim simple, but it's, I look at so many friends and family even, and I'll, I'll kind of ask similar questions and they don't, they don't, they're just kind of like, you can tell they're just getting up and uh, um, reacting. And it's, it's different when you talk to people who have a plan and have a few big things they want to get done every single day. Mm -hmm. I always say like, it doesn't sound like rocket science, but at the end of a week, whether it's you worked Monday through Friday or you worked the weekend, like you have, you know, what, 15, tw 15 or 21 major things you got done. You, you do that over 52 weeks and you do that over years, like you're going to be way further ahead than someone who's not. Yeah. And, and listen, here's the other thing that I, you know, I tell people and because again, I coach, I've coached a lot of, you know, C-level executives in some pretty big places over the years. And, and, you know, the one thing that can't substitute, you can't substitute anything for this is, is discipline. I mean, it comes down to discipline and, and listen, I'll be the first one to admit on, on your show or, or in life. I, you know, I struggle with some things. Mm -hmm. And I tell myself, I want to get to the gym every day. I want to go swimming. I want to go do something. But you know what? I don't. Okay. I, I, I just don't. And, and things get in the way. Right. And, and that's life. So you have to plan downtime just as much as you got to plan uptime. You right. got to plan to give yourself a break, you know, mentally, emotionally, psychologically, especially when you don't get something done, you have to you have to kind of give yourself a break and forgive yourself too. So, you know, the people that are super highly successful, uh, they're, they're insanely motivated to be disciplined. They're not motivated just to get the job done. They're motivated just to get to that place where they start the process and get through it. Right. It's the, the most successful people are not the smartest ones. Right. I, I'm with you. Emotionally intelligent ones either far, far from anyone would tell you there are the people that day in and day out get up no matter what. And they just, they show up. Yeah. They show up well, good, uh, bad, or indifferent. They show a, up. A saying I have on my desk that I, I, I love. Um, it's better to be consistently good versus occasionally great. Yeah. And I do, right. I think that's so true, right? It's like just getting up, giving it more at bats every day is going to be a lot more important. But I like that. That piece about uh, giving yourself a break is that's something I need to work on in, in planning downtime. That's something I definitely am not good at. We, we all do, man. I, you know, it, the, the thing about being consistent, right? It, you can be consistently consistent or you can be consistently inconsistent. Okay. One is 50-50 is good. The other one is definitely 100% bad. Right. 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 Yeah. So you can be consistently, consistently good or consistently, consistently bad or consistently inconsistent. Okay. Very true. The people who are consistently inconsistent, that's where trust is built. And it's also where trust is broken. Mm -hmm. So if you're consistently inconsistent, people will trust that you're inconsistent, but they won't trust you in a good way. So you got to really figure out, do I want to be consistently, consistently good, or do I want to be consistently inconsistent? Because all the other alternatives are shit. That's a, that's a really good point. Yeah, that's, that's facts. Yeah, no, it's I love fact. that. Yeah. So I try to be consistently, consistently good, but listen, I'm human and I fuck up sometimes and you sure, know, we, all I, we all make mistakes and, uh, you know, and I, I'm smart enough now at my age, I know to give myself a break, but you know, I'm accountable, you know, to a lot of people. Uh, I'm accountable to my GPs. I'm accountable to my investors. I'm accountable to my brands. 
And, uh, you know, I can honestly say, like, I, I try to do the best I can 99.9% of time, but I still fall short sometimes. And and you got to be able to 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 accept that and deal with it. But the one thing I try to be is consistently, consistently good all the time. I Love mean, that's, that. yeah. Well, th- well, thank you, Mike. That's a, that's a good piece to end on. I um, The last thing I want you to make sure you plug in is just anyone listening that wants to learn more about you or wants to get involved or even maybe pitch a brand, which you probably don't need more inbound of. What, what's the, <laughs> what's right the best? Now. Yeah. What's the best way to follow Mike? Uh, you can, you can go on to, uh, alethiavp.com is one way. Uh, you can go to my LinkedIn. I'm easy to find, uh, Mike Warren, Alethea. Uh, I've got, uh, another website, asbizsolutions.com. Uh, my phone number is readily and easily listed, uh, which doesn't deter people at all. So, you know, I get texts and emails and phone calls, uh, you know, in the middle of the night from all over the place. So, um, like I said, you know, when you and I were talking offline, Aletheia means the truth and it's all about transparency. So, you know, I, I try not to hide. I know a lot of fund managers do and, you know, they bury themselves in, um, you know, in, in lots and lots of uh, uh, email chains or where they don't list themselves. I'm not like that at all. Okay. That's great. Yeah. 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 No, I, I, I respect that. I, I could see how that could be easy to do. I'm sure you've got a lot of inbound. So to be out there and transparent, that's, that's big Mike. Um, yeah. I'll add all that to the show notes. Cool. Um, thank you. I can't thank you enough for coming on the show. It was great to meet you. Great to learn more about what you're doing. And I feel like I learned a shit ton today. So cool, man. thank you, Mike. I, I, I really appreciate it. appreciate it. I pr- I appreciate you and I appreciate your time. And thank you very much for having me on, man. It's, it's been awesome. Thanks. Awesome. Well, we'll stay in touch. Okay, cool.